0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I, I titled this this morning, when, What Do We Do When um, Scriptures Collide? Okay, So here's the deal. We have heard two primary discussions. That are going on, not just Karen and I, but other people we've talked to, uh, among Christians in particular, as we've all entered into this weird time. Uh, the first one we addressed last week. There are a lot of believers out there, and, and one of our one of our folks who prays a lot, talks to a lot of people, um, said this week that that the main discussion that she's hearing among Christians is the idea that God. Sent this virus, uh, sent this virus for a purpose. Is using it to teach people, judge people, um, break people down. You know what? Whatever it might be, strip things off of people. We addressed that last week. If you have not yet listened to or watched last week's message, I really strongly encourage you to get that. Um, and she said that she calls and prays with a lot of people. She said that the the people that believe that that God sent this. The Christian, these are Christian people. She also talks to people in the world. Those Christian people that believe that are the people that seem the most fearful and the most agitated about all of this. And we addressed all of that. I'm not going to teach it again this week. We addressed as much as I could of that last week. Again, we're not saying that God can't grow us during difficult and challenging times. Obviously, he can and does and, the, and it's valuable that he does. It's just that that's not his desired teaching environment. That's not, you know, Jesus never made people sick or, or put them in harm's way in order to teach them. He didn't do it that way. He said he did it by his word. He both cleansed and taught people with his word. So, so that discussion is going on. The second discussion that's going on is about are we violating one principle, the principle that we have a mandate, right, from the scripture to meet together and worship together? It goes all the way back. It's not. It's just not the New Testament verses, we'll, and we'll look at some of that in a few minutes, but, I mean, it goes all the way back. God has always desired to meet with his people. He's made a way for them to meet in the wilderness. You know, he's emphasized this thing of meeting together. And so we have that it's a mandate. It's it's these these are not suggestions. We are mandated by God to meet together and worship. So we have that principle. We're also mandated to honor and respect, obey, submit to our government authorities. And it's it's not it's many places in the scripture. It's it's a mandate. It's not a suggestion. Okay, so right now it feels like those two principles both of which are valuable those are two truths from the scripture they we know that all all of all the principles like that all the truths like that they all contain life they're from god they're for our benefit we know all these things about the word well those two seem to be hitting each other head to head right now so which do we do what do we do so the idea is that there are sometimes that it feels like Two or sometimes three principles from the scripture will conflict with one another. How do we walk through that? What do we do with that? This is not unusual. This is not, I'm just, this is a good example right here, and one that I've never been through before. I've never had the government come in and say you can't meet together as worshipers. And obviously, I don't want to make it clear, they're doing this in the name of public safety. It's, a, it's the reasonable thing for them to do. I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm saying, how do we as believers handle this whole thing? Because it doesn't just involve this issue. It involves lots of issues. Some people look at that and they say, well, see, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't contradict itself. You have two equally valuable principles that need to be applied in different places at different times in different ways. We're not compromising one for the other. The, the answer, and I'll give you the answer right now, and then I'll talk about it for 40 minutes, but uh, the answer is, you got to listen to the Holy Spirit. This is the way life works. Life is complicated. We never want to compromise the scripture, but we need to understand Jesus didn't just leave us here with a with a how-to book, you know, with a set of regulations. And so it, we just always apply this regulation in this way. He gives us the framework of the scripture, and it's all alive. Every bit of it is breathed by the Holy Spirit, it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's full of life, it feeds us, it is the framework for our life and how we live. Absolutely, no question about it. But within that, he also gave us a personal guide and counselor to walk through life with us. He sent the Holy Spirit for this very purpose. We're not supposed to be living just by a set of rules and regulations. He never intended that he sent the Holy Spirit. So the answer is, you've got to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying and do what he tells us to do within the scope, within the framework of what the Scripture lays out. So let me give you some other examples of this. Whenever we talk about this subject, let me just say it this way. It is wisdom for us. It is godly wisdom to understand that there are times when various biblical truths, it feels like they oppose each other. But again, that doesn't mean it's contradictory. It means life's complicated, and one of those is more applicable at the time than the other. And most of the time, this is also a good example right here, what we're living in, we can find ways to meet both of them, to meet the spirit of both of those mandates, which we are doing. We're doing that by meeting together virtually right now. You know, again, if if we were in a situation, you've got to understand there are people all over the world that never get to meet together publicly. They never get to worship together. It is illegal. They will be shot on sight for even admitting that they're Christians. There are people, you know, taking care of that in a lot of different ways all over the world. We as Americans... We have this wonderful freedom, which we need to defend, to meet together publicly to worship. That's a very important part of our experience and culture, and, and thank God for it. But right now, in order to meet this mandate over here, we're meeting in a different way. And, and that's, that's not a bad thing. But here are some other Here are some other examples. Usually whenever I talk about this, I use these verses out of Proverbs chapter 26. Uh, Proverbs 26, 4 says this. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him yourself. All right, so that means don't get into an argument. The word fool in the scripture, in the Old Testament in particular, means a person who denies that there is a God. So they're working from a totally godless framework. They reject God. They reject the Bible. They reject the whole premise, okay? And, you know, we, we all know people like that. So, so doesn't mean God doesn't love them. just means they reject all of that. So, so, their thoughts and their ideas come from that foundation or lack of foundation. And so, this scripture says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him yourself. In other words, there are times when it's totally unproductive, All it does is divide the the relationship and the possibility and the future of being able to talk to this person about the Lord, to to nitpick and get into an um, argument with them about all the different things that they might put out there. So it says, don't do it, okay? The very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. In other words, we have to give poor truth into stupidity at times, um, or people just become more arrogant and they, they never think about um, whether what they're saying is, is right or wrong. They just become more arrogant. So one, the one verse says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. The next verse says, do. So which is it? It's both. But we have to hear from the Spirit of God in different situations. And again, I've told you this every time I talk about this. I talk about my experience online Uh, primarily on facebook uh you know sometimes it's really hard i know the holy spirit is saying do not engage in that conversation don't give even though i would put scripture i would put a very reasonable (laughs) wise uh opinion out there i know in my heart i feel the check in my spirit don't do it and a number of times I have violated that and it just, it does nothing but raise a ruckus and and make things worse. Okay. I am getting better. I honestly am. I'm doing far less of that than I used to. I used to think that I could have a reasonable discussion and, and people might see my point. I've pretty much given up on that in online discussions. But there are other times where I feel like the Lord's saying, nope go ahead and do it. And a lot of times I'll check it with the Holy Spirit, Karen, the <laughs> Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, if we both feel right, about it, I'll go ahead and do it. And some people might, uh, you know, you still get some of that feedback, but a lot of time, I had one just the other week where somebody was putting something up last, it might've been this week. I don't know. You know, who knows what's happening with time right now. Um, But somebody had put something up that was, and I know their heart, I know this person, and what they were saying was really unbiblical. And I just put, I put a very nice, very reasoned comment there. And he took it down. He said, oh man, I didn't, I never wanted to say that. I, I really thank you so much for saying this. I sure didn't want to put that out. And he just, these things on Facebook, people just see these things, oh, that's cool. And they repeat it without ever thinking about it. So anyway, there's a time for both of these. But we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, and this is how this is how this thing works. Let me give you a couple more. Um, in Proverbs chapter twenty-four, verses three through five, this is from the Living Bible. It says, "Any enterprise is built by wise planning." All right, wise planning, thinking ahead, making provision, thinking through what's going to happen. Wise planning. Enter, any enterprise built by wise planning becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. But just think about the wise planning element there. The Bible teaches wise planning. There are lots of different scriptures that teach wise planning. Then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus says, Take no thought for tomorrow. Or don't concern yourself for tomorrow because each day has enough concerns of its own. So one verse says, Wise planning is a great thing. The other verse says, "Take no thought for tomorrow." All right, don't concern yourself with it. Which is it? It's both. And I specifically, we tend to be planners. This is just our nature. It's how we live. We've also uh, seen the the uh, the truth of it from the scripture. We want to be prepared. We want to come prepared to what we do, that kind of thing. But I've had specific times where in prayer, the Lord would say to me, this is a take no thought for tomorrow moment. All right. And the only way you're going to get through it, you can't fix it. You can't figure it all out. You can't know what the next five steps are and make preparation for them. You can't. It's it's not going to happen that way. So in this case, for this thing, you need to take no thought for tomorrow. You need to know that I've I've got it. I'm preparing the way. I've prepared the way ahead. I'll give you what you need before you need it. All of those things that we know about the Lord. He, and he'll say, just relax. Go for a bike ride. You know, just chill. And and so both of those are true. They're absolutely true and valuable, but you have to listen to the Holy Spirit about what you, which is which. I minister to people all the time that are just you know that are planners and and that or that are that like to have they like to know what's coming. I, I'm not even talking in a real negative way. I can't think of a different way to say it. They like to be in control. I don't mean that in a real negative way, like they're not letting God do anything. But you know, we some of us uh, we like security. We like to know what's coming. Other people are looser about that, but. You know, sometimes, and I've done it, just beat our heads against the wall, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do here when the truth that should be applied is take no thought for tomorrow. Does that make sense? So, so we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Here's another one, then we'll, we'll move on here. Feed the poor. I mean, everybody knows. The whole world, ask anybody in the world, they'll tell you the sum total of Christianity is feed the poor, okay? Which, obviously, I don't believe that's the sum total. But certainly, it's a big care on God's heart. Wall to wall in the Bible. And then it says, if you won't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, won't work, you don't eat. Well, which is it? You know, do we just... Do we just do just give everything away to everybody who asks? There are verses like that too, right? Uh, but there are other verses that say, if you don't work, you don't eat. You got to do your part in this. Which is it? It's both. And we need the Holy Spirit to show us how to lovingly apply either side of that. And, the, and here's the deal. When it's, if you won't work, you don't eat. And if that's getting applied by the Lord through somebody to somebody, it's for that person's good. Everything God ever does, everything he tells us, it's all for our good or other people's good. So if he's saying, don't answer the fool, it's for their good. If he's saying, answer the fool, it's for their good. If he's saying, feed the poor, it's for their good. It's show them the love of God. If he's saying, you don't, you don't work, you don't eat, it's for their good. All right, so... We need to be sure we're not just arbitrarily doing this. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Have I said that yet today? We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Somebody brought up the other day that right now, the command to love your neighbor, usually we think of that as go next door and give them a hug and take them a meal and do all this stuff. Right now, loving your neighbor may very well mean stay away from your neighbor. Isn't that weird? It's bizarre. But if you're going to go over and make your neighbor sick, that's not loving your neighbor. So, you know, it's right now, I think more than any time in my life, the actions that we take and what we do, we really need to be prayerful about what we're doing. And we need to figure out creative ways to do the things we need to do to support and love one another uh, within the framework that we have right here. Okay, so let's talk about this thing of, of gathering together for worship we know that the scripture tells us to gather together for worship. And we know that the scripture tells us that there's one of the benefits of that. It's great for us, and the Lord loves it, but there are also benefits that go way beyond that. The scripture tells us in um, Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, and then Jesus repeated this, but it says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies. That's always interesting to me that you have ordained praise. You have ordained that your people praise and worship you because of your enemies. It's going to do something to your enemies and says to silence the foe and the avenger. So when the church gathers and worships God, just worships God together, pours out their heart to the Lord. It's not just about singing songs. It's about that heart attitude of worship. When we gather for that There's power released that affects other people. If the mouth of the avenger is being stopped and silenced, that's going to make it easier for everybody in town to know Jesus. I mean, the the worship, and people don't know this, Uh, I saw a thing the other day, it was in a discussion about probably mountain biking. And there's, anywhere you look right now, there's the bickering back and forth. Should you even get out of bed in the morning? Are you you okay to get out of bed and walk out your front door? Or should you not do any of that, you know, and people are fighting about it. Anyway, this person was saying, people are, this was before the last orders came out, people are not allowed to gather, especially for church, especially for church. And this is one of those moments. Where I wanted to just kindly ask, why would it be worse? For this was back with nine people or less. Why would it be worse for us to gather to worship than to gather for a picnic in the park? You know, explain to me. I didn't. I felt like the Lord was saying, "Leave it alone," and I and I I didn't because I know the answer I'd get anyway. But you know, the my point is, the world doesn't get that the church gathering is important. And I think that's why we don't see it addressed very much in most of these orders, at least in our state. Because sadly, the church is so devalued, but people don't get the spiritual part. And I don't expect them to. I don't expect people that don't know God to know that demonic forces are silenced over their life when the church gathers to worship. How are they going to know that? I don't, you know, I understand. But nevertheless, we know that. So that makes gathering together even more valuable. It's for us, but it's for our community. Proverbs 11.11 11 says to us, by the blessing of the influence of the upright and God's favor because of them, the city is exalted, but the city is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. So the idea is when, when there's favor on the church, it blesses the whole community. You know, we are a, we are supposed to be a blessing. And I'll just throw this in here when believers or unbelievers start speaking out every negative report that they can hear and read, it says the city's going to be overthrown. So people right now, man, guard your hearts and watch what's coming out of your mouth because there's there are a ton. There is a ton of conflicting information out there. Honestly, we don't know what is true and and even honest healthcare people say, we don't really know. We don't, have enough. we don't have enough to know, but here's what we think. So here's what we're doing. Okay. But don't, don't repeat uh, every fearful thing that you hear. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, very familiar scriptures, it says, let us, us believers, let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another. Studying how okay so this isn 't a fleeting thought, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities so we 're supposed to be inciting one another to living living well for God, all right, and then it says not forsaking or neglecting okay forsaking is more of a determined Idea. I'm just going to. I'm just not doing this. I'm just not going. I don't need church. They don't need me. I'm just not going. Um, Neglecting is just you just get in the habit of not doing it. Not forsaking or neglecting to assemble together as believers, as is the habit of some people, but admonishing, warning, urging, and encouraging one another, and all the more faithfully as you see the day approaching. So we have this mandate to get together even more. As, as we approach the last days and bad things happen and all that, the scripture tells us it's a mandate, it's a command to us, get together more, not less, okay? So, you know, we, we believe that. We embrace that. And I know you guys that I'm talking to today, 99% of you, you embrace that. Um, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'll be there in their midst, all right? There is a special anointing where believers gather together. God does things in the corporate gathering that he simply doesn't do in our own individual time. He does lots of things in our individual time. But, you know, people, don't argue with me about it. God set it up this way. When we gather together, there there is an increased measure of God's anointing and favor, and he speaks things to us that we wouldn't get any other way. And, and it's just true. We learn things. I learned this the hard way, you know, that we learn things, we hear things from God we never would have gotten on our own because this is his plan and his purpose. He manifests himself in unique ways in the midst of gathered people. He just does. You know, I can't really explain that. He just does. All right, so um, we've noticed and this has been interesting to me. I didn't know how this was going to go with the whole live stream thing or pre-recorded message thing. Um, there has been a tremendous anointing on this, and it's been interesting. We got we got messages all week from people saying, it was so good. You know, we, we were really able to enter into the worship time. It was surprisingly good. And I you know, it's not that we want to do this forever or that we are supposed to do this forever. I just believe God is blessing this because we're making, and when I say we, I mean the church as a whole, everybody's doing this, that we're making the effort to meet in the way that we can meet. We're not forsaking that. And God's anointing is on it. And what's really interesting to me is that even with almost nobody in this room, as a minister and anybody who stands to minister all the time will tell you this, there is a draw that comes from you. There's a draw that comes from people who come with a heart to receive. And if you can have a room, full, you can have a stadium full of people who are not there with a heart to receive. And it's just, it feels like you're pushing the message out at people. But when people are there to receive, it gets drawn out of you. And, it's, and everybody that knows the Lord and ministers and trusts him for that anointing to do it, Everybody says this. Everybody feels this. Well, each of us, myself, in the first week we were doing this, Annie was teaching, and afterwards she said, "Wow, that was so easy. I didn't expect it to be that easy because it's like we can feel the pull through the stream, you know. It's and then I'm hearing on the other end that it's anointed there, and I just, I just think that's cool. God is honoring the gathering of His people, even in what is a weird way." For us, it shouldn't surprise us, but we've really experienced it, all right. So, just give you those two examples. We know that our meeting together is mandated by God, so it's important, all right. Now, we also have this mandate to honor leaders and those in authority. I'm going to read you kind of a long passage here, most of you have read it before Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. But let's listen to it today. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. All right. Now, that doesn't mean that every person that is in an office in the earth was God's pick. All right. Or was, or that God has put all those people. There are clearly people doing ungodly things from positions of power. What this verse is saying is. All authority, the whole concept of authority and chain of command for our good, because there is evil in the earth. When we get to heaven, we won't need a whole government set up. All right. During the millennium, when Jesus is reigning from Jerusalem, we won't need a whole government set up. We'll have Jesus in charge. Right? Cool. We don't have that right now, has anyone noticed? So, so God has established authority into the earth, primarily to protect people. I know it doesn't always get used that way, but this is why it's there. This is why authority, all authority, all authority is given for the purpose of serving people and making things better for people. doesn't matter if it's a parental authority, a husband, uh, the submission, and uh, which I believe goes both ways, between husband and wife, whether it's a government official, a police officer, a school teacher, whatever it is, God's intention in that is that people be safe, people be protected, people be lifted up, people be educated, people, life be made better for people. Okay, we all know it's not always used that way, but this is the intention goes on to say the authorities that exist have been established by God. I mean, again, it means chains of command, ideas of authority have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. "'For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. "'Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? "'Then do what is right, and he will commend you. "'For he is God's servant to do you good. "'But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing.' He is God's servant and agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because, I love this verse, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. In other words, we're supposed to understand as believers, authority comes from God. If I rebel against authority, and we'll talk about that in just a second. If I rebel against authority, I have that knee-jerk reaction against authority, then I am rebelling against God. Okay, I'm ultimately rebelling against what he did. So because of that, because of that understanding, it's, it's necessary for us to submit ourselves to authority, not just because, not just, what can I get away with? Am I going to get caught? Oh, there's less police out right now. They're busy elsewhere, so I can go 100 miles an hour up the valley. You know, it's not that attitude It's the attitude of, for conscience sake. I'm obeying, I'm submitting to authority in submission to God. I'm submitting to authority to honor what God has done. And there really is blessing in that attitude. This is also why it says you pay taxes. This is a a fun passage, isn't it? Uh, For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Give to everyone. And what happens when we give? We receive more back, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. All right. So authority is ordained by God. It means it's set in order. It doesn't mean every individual is doing it right. And there is a place, we're going to get there. Don't turn us off. We're going to get there. There is a place for civil disobedience that's explained in the scriptures. So that's valid, but that's different than rebellion. Civil diso- Godly civil disobedience is done without a rebellious heart, okay? So um, dominating structures are always ungodly. That's an ungodly use of authority, all right? Whether that's a husband over a wife, or a parent over a child, or the government over people, all right? So the word rebel, it means to set yourself in opposition to, to set yourself in opposition to. Doesn't mean there's no place for denying a government the right to exercise control in a certain area. It describes a heart attitude that automatically rejects authority. A heart attitude that rejects the ideas that are co-ideas of uh, authority and submission. Okay, all right. It's a hard attitude that denies the right of authority to exist on any level, and then and therefore ultimately denies God the right to hold or establish authority. So it's a hard attitude, and we have a lot of it. Our country is permeated in it. This is just a just an automatic rejection of the police officer, of government officials. Of pastors, of mom and dad, whatever it is, you know who are you? Who do you have the right? That attitude stinks in God's sight. And actually, First Samuel fifteen twenty three tells us that rebellion is the same as witchcraft. All right, it's a rejection of God's authority and an and a usurping of authority and an exalting of personal authority for selfish use or ungodly use. All right, it, it says it's just like rebellions, like the sin. Of witchcraft. If you're having a hard time with what I'm teaching right now, think about what I'm saying, okay? Because there may be a little rebellion kicking up in your heart, okay? So God's looking for an attitude that submits to authority out of uh, a heart attitude of honor and holiness, okay? Not an attitude that only does what it's forced to do. All right, we'll read one more verse, and then I'll uh, give you some some ideas about this. First Peter. One more passage, First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Okay, that means we're doing it unto God. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. All right, so God's will is not that you... Sometimes ignorant talk needs to be silenced, all right? But he wants us to do it with the right heart and in the right way. By doing good, not by rebellion, okay? Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. I don't have time to get into that this morning, but that is a big idea. I'm free. I can do what I want. God has set me free. Jesus has set me free. That's right. And he didn't give us that freedom in order to exercise it in a selfish manner, in order to disregard every other authority in the earth. That's not using God's freedom. He's given us freedom, but he's saying, use your freedom well. Use your freedom to serve people, love people. Pray for your leaders. Honor your leaders. they We're not going to agree with everything our leaders do, even in the best circumstances. Remember that these verses are all written by people that were under much worse government than we're under today. They were under totalitarian government that had governors and there was a lot of corruption. There was all that stuff was there at this time. These were not perfect little governments that these guys were writing these scriptures to or lived under. Paul interestingly was there's a whole list of things that happened to him he was beaten with rods a number of times he was scourged he had he was punished he was imprisoned and all this stuff for putting out the gospel right only one time that we know of did he say hey you can't do that to me i'm a roman citizen he used the rights of citizenship in that one instance and the reason behind it was so that he would get sent to a higher authority and get to preach the gospel in Rome and get to preach the gospel to Caesar. He went into another prison. He didn't get out of prison, but they didn't beat him. But he that's the only time we see him say, you can't do this, which is really, to me, that's really interesting that he, he did it that way. And it was only for a purpose of of getting to a higher level to take the gospel to another place. So it says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Now get this, love the brotherhood of believers. So agape, unselfish love, belongs one to another. Fear God. That's the strongest command in this little list. Fear God. We give the ultimate reverence to God above everything else. All right? Honor the king. Those are all in the same sentence. Loving brothers and sisters requires sacrifice on our part sometimes, right? To love unconditionally, it does. Fear God, have that reverence for God in your heart. Honor the king, all right? That takes fearing God. We honor the king out of fear for God, all right? They don't contradict each other. We honor the king out of our fear of God because God has said, do it, all right? When I honor authorities as an act of worship to the Lord, the Lord honors me. Okay, when you honor authorities out of an act of worship to the Lord, the Lord honors you. He releases favor over your life. And we've seen this in practical ways many times when we decided to, you know, we're not going to rebel against this thing. We are going to go with this thing. We're going to pray for our leaders. They have a hard job. I don't agree with everything they're doing, but they're the ones that are there. They're the ones in those offices, and we're going to come with a heart to honor them and yield to them to a certain point that we'll talk about in just a second here. When we do that, see, we have to set aside the idea that God only uses godly leaders, that anybody else it's okay for us to rebel against, man, read your Bible. You, you look at where Joseph was. You look at where Daniel was. Daniel served. Daniel rose. Daniel became the head of all the magicians in a totally ungodly, idol-worshiping setup. He, that was his title. He's a prophet. We know who he was. But in his role, he was called the head of all the magicians. You know, God used him in the midst of a totally ungodly system. And God used kings, ungodly kings that didn't know him, to get his will done in the earth time after time. So we can't just assume that because a person doesn't fit our political scope or our, you know, this is a leader, oh man, they should never do that. Granted, that doesn't give us the right to rebel against them. That doesn't give us the right to dishonor them to call them names, to write some of the stuff that's written these days online about President Trump, President Obama, President Clinton. I mean, it's been going on, I guess we didn't have online during Clinton, but anywhere in there, President Bush, you know, some of the stuff that's written about presidents, about leaders, it's awful. You shouldn't write that about anybody. You you know, it's just nasty stuff. That is not a godly thing to do. All right? So, um let me get this to you because we're about out of time. Acts chapter 4, there is a place for civil disobedience in the scripture, okay? There is a place for this, for resisting authority, but it has to be done with a, with a yielded heart, with a submitted heart. It can't be done just out of that knee-jerk rebellion. Acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. Now we know what was going on here. Peter and John were ministering to people. They healed people. They, they were teaching and they were dragged into prison for it, right? And then they were brought before the magistrates. They're trying to intimidate them into being quiet. And in verse 13, Acts chapter 4, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. (laughs) These guys look like Jesus. This is scary. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. That's an important verse right there. If we want respect, we need to be manifesting the works of Jesus. Okay, It makes it really hard for people to deny uh, when there's a person who's been healed that they've known was crippled their whole life. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. All right. Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves. Look at how look at how level this statement is. I'll just say it. They didn't flip them off, okay? <laughs> They didn't, you know, they didn't put a rant on Facebook, you know, they didn't they didn't cuss anybody out. They said, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. So this is what it came down to. To obey you, I have to disobey God. There's the line. That is the line at which we have to say, No, I have to obey God. If it cost me my life, I have to obey God. If it costs me imprisonment, I'll I'll minister in prison. I, I cannot disobey God. Why? Because I fear God, but I honor the king. All right? So, is it right in your sight to obey you rather than God? We cannot help but speaking about what we have seen or heard. So, this is the line for us. And and so, here we are. You know, we're in this place where we're being told, you guys can't meet, to, you can't gather a group of people together. Well, there are ways within this that we are using to meet together for worship, to minister to one another. Nobody has said churches can't exist. You can't preach in the name of Jesus. You can't speak the name of Jesus. When if that day were to come, we'd be taking a totally different posture, you know. And I know some people are just—they're just uncomfortable. They're just, what should we do? I really believe, and and um, you know, somebody somebody said this a couple weeks ago. I think it was Logan. Just came out with this statement that right now, loving your neighbor means staying home, keeping your kids home, not letting your kids run over there, you know and and all of that, and it really went off in me that man, that's a good insight right there, you know loving your neighbor means doing this right now, for the time, for the time, all right so here are just a list a list of things um we know in this, you know, both of these things are important, but where it's possible, whenever you have any of these types of conflicts, one scripture says this, one says another, where it's possible, fulfill both mandates. Sometimes we just need to let the Lord show us another way to fulfill one of them, which he has done. Again, I'm not talking compromise. I'm just, we are gathering for worship. All right, we're just doing it as households for a for a short time. Okay. Um, If the scripture makes the choice clear, obviously, that's your first resource for direction. You go with the scripture. If it just makes the choice clear, we probably wouldn't be having this discussion. All right? Next, we always make the choice that best reflects the nature of God. God's not angry. God's not defiant. God's not rebellious. God's not self centered. All right? In fact, the Bible tells us that love, agape love, does not think of its own interests first, all right? It's not self interested. All right, Paul said, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are productive or beneficial. All right, it, it's, he, he was opposed by both secular and religious governments, and yet he only that one time used his rights, All right, and it was to further something for the gospel. So bottom line, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit with these types of things. And, and so here's how that works. Just very briefly, the Lord speaks to us through the scripture. He brings the scripture alive. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Scripture highlights itself to you. Uh, there's what we call the inward voice. You, you just hear the Spirit of God speaking in you, and it's not just your own thoughts. There's what we call the inward witness, which is a, it's just a sense on the inside of direction. It's a sense of what the Spirit of God is saying. It's an impression we say in our hearts. We just, it's an inward knowing. The inward witness is just an inward knowing. What it literally is in the scripture is, is it's a, an agreement or a harmony or a symphony between what the Holy Spirit has on his heart and what is now in your heart. And there's an agreement. There's just an inward sense of agreement. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Telling you where to go, telling you which way to do. He, he speaks through visions and dreams sometimes. He speaks through prophecies. He speaks through gifts of the Spirit. And, but I think one of the primary ways that he speaks to us in a situation like this where we're not sure, is it A or is it B, is by the peace in your heart. Colossians 3.15, especially from the Amplified Bible, says, let the peace of God act as an umpire in your heart. And it does. You'll just have so often we just look at it. Which way do I have the greatest sense of peace? What where where is the peace? There's more peace to go this way. So we'll start walking that way. And, and I think the leading by the peace in your heart is one of the when when messages are confused, one of the one of the best ways. Another way is it it says that uh, for the godly, his integrity will guide him. A lot of times, one sit, one decision just has more integrity to the other. It's than the other. It's more godlike. It's more honest. It's more open. It's more transparent. It has more integrity, more consistency. All right. So all of those ways are ways that God speaks to us. In my opinion, I, and I think most all of you agree at this point, but this discussion is still going on. I think we're doing the right thing. You know, we're honoring God. We're worshiping Him. We're gathering where we can gather, and You know, as far as we know, this is very temporary. It seems like a long time when you're in it, like many things do, but it's very temporary. We're honoring God, we're honoring our leaders, and we're taking it one week at a time from there. But, uh, so if you have that discussion with people, just maybe some of this will, will help you to help them to sort it out. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for what you've said to us. Especially those things for us as individuals, all of us that hear this message, Lord, I I know always, Holy Spirit, you highlight specific words, specific phrases, specific ideas, Lord. We thank you for that. We choose to take hold of those as treasure for us. If there are issues in our own hearts uh, regarding rebellion, resentment, you know, whatever it might be in that area, Lord, we give that over to you. We ask you to cleanse us of that. We ask you to bring your word to cleanse us of that, Lord. Father, and again this morning, not so much on this message, but just in general, Lord, I I just pray for everybody that hears this message to be free from fear, to be alive in the peace of God, to to know their role, their place, to have dynamic, spirit-filled patience in their lives and to be able, Lord, to push back, fear, not only from their own home, but from their neighborhood and their community, to be able to to silence the voice of the enemy with their praise and their worship of you. And we just thank you that you continue to bless us, to favor us, to anoint these times of gathering in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, it's different every week and next week will be different again. Hopefully we'll have a live feed. So Yeah, I'm going to say it. I hadn't forgotten this week. I'm getting kind of used to this. I don't know what it'll be like when all you people come back in here. So we're going to say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over Gunnison Basin and the world. And then again, I say, go out there and be the church. All right. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. (laughs)